This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The 2-2. Goldie, base hit into right. The ball game is tied. The 3-2 pitch to Paul Goldschmidt. A drive into deep right field. Marshall back. It's gone! One Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, national content editor, also at MLB.com. Today is Thursday, August 25th, 2022. We're going to talk about the return of Bryce Harper, whether Paul Goldschmidt can get to the Triple Crown, how the Braves are winning with youth, what we should make of, I guess, of O'Neill Cruz hitting maybe the hardest hit ball in the history of sports, and the wild race for the third wildcard spot in the American League. Of course, we'll get into a couple guys you should talk about more. Hi, Matt. Welcome back from vacation. I uh, I don't think I told you this personally, but I did out you. I told everybody on the show last week that you'd never been to Dodger Stadium before, and I kind of shamed you for that. And now I'm just, I'm so happy you did it. And briefly, it, it did live up to expectations, right? It's funny you mention that because a friend of mine... Uh, who listens to the podcast was like, "Hey, I heard you were at Dodger Stadium." <laughs> so I knew I knew you you added me. It um, very much actually. I I got to check two ballparks off my list. I went to Angel Stadium last Wednesday afternoon. I saw a classic Otani game. He went four for five with a home run or triple, and the Angels lost. Um, and then I went to Dodger Stadium on Friday night. Dodgers Marlins, and yes, Dodger Stadium. It's. I mean, it, it it lived up to expectations. It was like exactly this like perfect LA vibe that I kind of expected, but like in all the all the best ways. Um, amazing views, amazing just like everything, and just also going with my going with my wife who hasn't been to nearly as many ballparks, and even she walking in and just being like, "Whoa, this place is cool. This place is different." Um, you can kind of tell being with someone who just like has a lot less um, points of comparison, just how much it really pops. There is nothing like seeing a game in person at one of the historic ballparks. It's fantastic. Okay, our main opener topic is actually going to be about Paul Goldschmidt's amazing season. But there is a bit of like somewhat breaking news that I wanted to get to quickly. Our friend John Morosi has reported that Bryce Harper could be added to the Phillies' active roster as soon as today, if not tomorrow. And I wanted to bring this up uh, in part because, obviously, he's maybe the best hitter in the National League. But it reminds me of the discussion we had when he first got hurt. If you remember what happened to him, early in the season, he hurt his elbow and he couldn't throw. So he played DH exclusively for a couple of weeks. And then he broke his thumb when he was hit by a pitch. And the discussion at the time, because the Phillies were struggling terribly as well. Yeah, maybe he could come back later in the year, but is it worth it? Should he just have the elbow repaired and be like at full strength for 2023? And that was like a pretty fun conversation. He said, no, I, I want to be around because we're going to get better. And man... To the credit of his teammates, they really have, and now they are in possession of a wild card spot. He's coming back. That's going to be a huge boost. On the other hand, and here's the question for you, Matt: Should we rescind his MVP award because they are 31 and 20 since he last played? Where's the value in that? I ask you. 
Um, I feel like I'm being like trapped in a conversation. You're trying to like con me into some uh, point I don't want to make. Um, I'll admit, I kind of thought they should have shut him down at the time. Probably one of my, uh, uh, along with predicting the Red Sox to make the postseason, one of my freezing cold takes of the season. I did not expect them. Did not expect them to turn around like this. Um, I give the Phillies a ton of credit for the way they've kind of just they cut bait with a lot of you know kind of dead weight and really found ways to improve on like where, places where they were getting nothing. And then top of the rotation is very good. Alex Bohm has really come along. So it's like it's they're almost certainly going to be in the playoffs going on the road to either Atlanta or City Field in what should be a very exciting. Either way, will be a very exciting uh, wild card series. Is that what it's set up to be right now? Either at the Mets or at the Braves? Wow. I mean, they, okay. they are they are three games in the lost column up on the Padres right now. Padres hold the sixth spot right now. The the Phillies are pretty like I don't want to say locked into the fifth spot because it certainly could flip. But like, yeah, right now, right now they'd be going to if it's, if it started today, they'd be going to Atlanta. Um, obviously, the Mets in Atlanta that could go either way. So though that will be a very interesting wild card series. Either one. Okay, our actual opening topic here. Paul Goldschmidt uh, has a chance to get to the Triple Crown. I think he's having an oddly underreported season, which is weird because the Cardinals are not a small market team that nobody pays attention to. I get that he's not Aaron Judge. He's not in New York. He's not going to break home run records. Um, but he's having an incredibly good year. Like If you were to look at OPS+, Plus, Judge is at 198. Goldschmidt's at 195. In my eyes, he is a slam dunk winner of the MVP award, no matter what happens. All the Austin Riley truthers can go over there. It's going to be Paul Goldschmidt. It's probably going to be Arenado second. And not that like I'm a big aficionado of the Triple Crown, but I, I'm willing to admit that that's a thing that people will pay attention to because we haven't seen it since, what was it Miguel Cabrera was the last one who did it? I can't even remember, but I think that's right. He is currently leading in batting average by nine points over Freddie Freeman. He is three home runs behind Kyle Schwarber, although Schwarber's kind of trending down a little bit recently. And he's two home run, excuse me, two RBIs behind Pete Alonso, which by the way, I didn't realize this till I looked this up. Alonso had an amazing May and a really good June, a pretty good July and a league average August. So he's been trending down as well. I don't know if Goldschmidt's going to get there, but I think the fact that it's almost September and you can even have this conversation is probably a good entry point into, wow, this guy's having an amazing season. It, so it, I totally overlooked the, the Triple Crown possibility until yesterday, and I saw um, Jeremy Frank, uh, who I think is at MLB Stats on Twitter. Random Stats. Random Stats. Tweet out, like, hey, Paul, Paul Goldschmidt can win Triple Crown this year. And I was like, whoa. I think it, what, the, part of the reason it popped, you know, kind of jumped up on me is because, like, we've been spending so much time talking about, well, Aaron Judge, you know, hit 61 or 62 home runs and set the American League record. That's been such, like, a focus. And then, oh, well, we'll... Will Albert Pujols get to 700 home runs or at least pass Alex Rodriguez at 696 home runs? And there's been so much focus on that. And then you look up and it's like, I think Paul Goldschmidt winning the Triple Crown is his... If you lined up those three things, Judge getting to 62 homers, Pujols getting to 700 homers, Goldschmidt winning the Triple Crown, I think Goldschmidt is as likely as any of those and is pretty cool. I mean... For, for those who care about such things, you're right. Miguel Cabrera was the last Triple Crown winner, and that was 10 years ago, 2012. Prior to him, there hadn't been one since 1967. And if you in the National League, there hasn't been one since 1937 when Joe Medwick did it. So, like, it's a pretty rare feat. And, like, yes, what, you know, you, we, we, can, you know we, we don't need to get into the whole RBIs conversation and all that. Like, it's obviously really hard to do, and you have to be a great player to do it. So, th- I'm pretty excited about this. I think it's pretty cool that this this... this 
could happen. And unlike in 2012, when it all got wrapped up in this like pretty like unpleasant Trout versus Cabrera like MVP conversation, which was horrible because like I wanted to root for Cabrera to win Triple Crown, but I also thought Trout should have been MVP. Doesn't mean I doesn't like need to take away from either of them. Fortunately, this year we don't have such a thing. It's like no Goldschmidt is objectively having the best offensive season in the National League. And he might win the triple crown. I can't remember if it was that year or the next year. There were two years in a row it was like a Trout-Mickey kind of battle. And um, the most obnoxious argument from one of those years as well, you know, I can't give it to Trout because, uh, you know, his his team, I forget exactly how it was put, but I think his team won more games but finished lower in the standings. And that's what people were arguing about. And it's like, come on, what are we doing here? Goldschmidt's having a really interesting year. Um, There's actually two things I want to say. The first is, I've seen some people point to the fact that he has a 380 batting average on balls in play, which is pretty high. It's like 55 points higher than league average. And part of me doesn't care about that because, like, we're not projecting forward. Like, this is what happened. If he got the hits, great. Like, give the man the hits. Uh, But also, I'm not actually sure that's luck for him necessarily because if you look at his career, he has routinely run, like, extremely high batting averages on balls in play. 380 is not even his highest. He had higher in 2015, uh, and he's not necessarily someone you'd consider to be fast. I think this is just goes back to him spraying line drives absolutely all over the place. I also had a question I think I'm unprepared to answer right now. Someone just like 10 minutes ago on Twitter asked me, does this season, assuming he wins the MVP, put him into the Hall of Fame? And I thought to myself, well, I don't know if I'm ready to answer that yet, but it's sure going to help his case. I felt like he was you know, somewhat borderline before and he needed a great season. And this is a monumentally great season. Yeah, I think I think he's almost gotten overlooked because like he actually hasn't had like a great season until this year since he joined St. Louis. But like he finished twice MV, second MVP twice in Arizona in 2013 and in 2015. I'll also mention you say he's not that fast and I'm actually not that sh- sure how fast he is in in sprint speed, but in 2016, he was 32 for 37 in stolen bases, which is pretty incredible. Um, this year, he's 5 for 5. Last year, he was 12 for 12. The, in 2020, he was 1 for 1. So he hasn't gotten caught stealing since 2019, which is also pretty amazing. He's just a extremely well-rounded player who's, you know, his MVP finishes. He's finished 2nd, 2nd, 11th, 3rd, 6th, 20th, 15th, 6th. And this year, he's probably going to be 1st. I think if he wins this year... I don't want to say it makes him a Hall of Fame lock, but I think it gets him pretty darn close. Um, it's been a really incredible career, and this is like, you know, this this will, I mean, he's 34 years old, so this will probably be his quote-unquote career year, but man, it's 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 a good one. He's not a, he's, a, he's an incredibly smart and intelligent base runner, right? Like, I don't, I wouldn't put his top speed up against anybody, but I don't think I remembered he stole 32 bases, which for a first baseman is insanely good. Um, I did look at the, the rest of season projections. I went to the, over to Zips from our friend Dan Zimborski just to see, like, what do the computers think will happen? They have him winning the batting average title over Freddie Freeman by a couple points. They have him finishing five home runs behind Kyle Schwarber. I'm not sure about that one. I feel like that's going to be a lot closer than that. And they have him six RBIs behind Pete Alonso. It's really difficult to know because I think the Mets probably have a bit of a deeper lineup, but also Alonso just hasn't played very well lately. Why? Well, I guess I have to put you on the spot now. End of the season, is he win the Triple Crown? I don't think so. I think he's going to come up short. But I think, you know, one, one thing that really, like, it's going to be hard to know because I think that, like, the, the the Cardinals have sort of two milestone things going on. They've got Pujols trying to get 700 home runs. There's a good chance they will have locked up the division with the way things are going right now and just the way the Brewers are playing. 
there's a good chance the Cardinals will have locked up this division. They're right now they're up five in the loss column with like, you know, a week or so to go in the division in the, in the season. They close with six against the Pirates, a, a home and home series. They'll probably want to play pools every day because they'll, you know, he'll probably want to still be trying to go for 700 home runs. It'll be interesting to see what they do with um, with Goldschmidt because also they're probably not going to get the first round by, right? So they're actually going to go right into the wild card series. So they're probably going to want to rest him and Arenado. So that could actually end up being a factor in how this plays out because obviously it could help him in batting average, but it will hurt him in the counting stats, home runs, and RBIs. Yeah, this is actually the second week in a row we've talked about the Cardinals to open our show, which I think tells you a little bit about how interesting and kind of exciting the team is right now. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the team that the Cardinals are going to play this weekend, Atlanta Braves. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Matt, would you be surprised if I told you the closest divisional race is not the American League Central and it's not the National League Central. It is actually the National League East, where as we sit here, the Braves are only a game and a half behind the Mets, which is as close as they've been pretty much all season long. And when you look at the Braves, obviously they've got some big stars, right? Like Dansby Swanson's having an incredible walk year. Uh, Matt Olson's having a pretty good year. Austin Riley's having a fantastic year. But they've got some really interesting new names, and they're almost certainly going to have the top two names in the Rookie of the Year balloting, Michael Harris or Spencer Strider, in whichever order you prefer. Now also there's Vaughn Grissom, who has come out of, I don't want to say nowhere, but certainly wasn't like a top prospect uh, on any like overall top 100 list, who's hitting 382 at the moment. And I looked this up for a second. The Braves have the most wins above replacement from rookies on both sides of the ball. Number one in hitting at 4.6. Number one in pitching at 4.1. They've also got the most wins above replacement from 25 and under hitters, because now it's not just rookies. Right now it's Austin Riley. It's William Contreras. It's Ronald Acuna Jr. It's Ozzy Albies as well, even though Albies has been hurt for a while. They are succeeding. I mean, and we've talked, we haven't even talked about the contracts yet. Like they've extended Riley, they've extended Harris. Um, the Braves just have this pipeline of talent, and I feel like they're never going to be bad again, which is a loaded statement to say, but that's how it feels right now. It's the fact that, the, I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And I'll say this as like someone who's done prospect ranking stuff earlier in my career and has a ton of respect for the people who do prospect ranking stuff, but like coming into the year, uh, Grissom wasn't even ranked as one of the Braves' top five prospects. Harris was number one. He was number 65 overall in MLB. Strider was number two, was not even in the top 100 in MLB. And then, like, some of these guys just get, like, popped into the majors, and they're not just, like, oh, nice contributors. They're impact players basically immediately. And there's been a lot of, like, really hyped prospects that come to mind, like Spencer Torkelson, who's been, like, a huge disappointment. Bobby Wade has actually been pretty – he's come around and actually had a good a good season. But, like, not as good as the season as Harris or Strider's had, right? So it's – it's remarkable and it speaks to the Braves player development that they kind of like 
you know, these guys weren't first round draft picks. Um, Vaughn Grissom was actually, did you notice he was high school teammates with Riley Green in, in Orlando? I did know that. In Orlando, Florida. And he's come in and Green's been okay. And he was like super hyped. And Grissom has <laughs> been been much better and basically kind of made them forget about Ozzy Alves. And that's sort of a, 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 a an adjacent conversation to all this. I mean, I guess it's a good problem to have if you're the Braves. But like it's it's really remarkable what they've done with their player development. And yes, to your point, it's kind of like, oh wow, they just like they have three more rookies combined with all these other guys they have who are like twenty five and younger. It's like, yes, I don't know when they're ever gonna be not good again. They're a really interesting franchise too, because you look at you look at the coaches, right? Like Snicker on Washington, you think of them as being old school. And then I was just reading an article this morning uh, in The Athletic where they had traded for Robbie Grossman at the deadline, and Grossman was having like a miserable season in Detroit. And pretty much on day one, they're like, listen, we've got these analytical tools um, with the the way uh, Kevin Seitzer, their hitting coach, put it was just like they have this program they can break down with stick figures and measurements and movements of every part of his body. And you've probably seen some of that in the field vision stuff that's come out. And what they basically did was they overlaid his left hand swing from this year when he's been terrible with previous years when he was good. They're like, your body's moving differently. Can you try to fix that? And I don't want to say it's as simple as that because Grossman's still got to go out there and do it but he's been a lot better. And I'm not sure right now if I'm praising the Braves or criticizing the Tigers. I guess it's probably a little bit of both. <laughs> but like, we, I mean, just this month, we've had three huge examples of this, right? Where sometimes like when people talk about change of scenery, usually they talk about like, oh, the vibes. But it's also just like maybe getting a coach in your ear telling you something a little, they might be giving you the same advice, but just telling it to you in a different way. And that might be enough. Or just like if you're a pitcher changing your repertoire. I mean, you got Robbie Grossman, you got Joey Gallo, you got Jordan Montgomery, all these guys who have basically gone from like being you know, bad to being great just by well, going... Montgomery wasn't bad, come no, on. No, but fine, he, middle, middle of the road. Middle of the road to, you know, like, best pitcher Impact. in baseball yeah. over, the, over the last month. Um, and I don't think... In the, the Two of those guys were Yankees, and this is not like... The Yankees are clearly a pretty good organization. <laughs> so it's not like they don't know what they're doing. So there's obviously something to this. We see it all, we see it all the time, and... Um, Hey, heck, even uh, even J.D. Davis within like two weeks with the Giants matched his home run total that he had in three months with 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 the Mets. So I think, you know, we see this a lot. Gross, Grossman is sort of really, I mean, they were get, having a lot of issues with their outfield, especially when Acuna was out with Ozuna being as bad as he was. And now they've got Harris, who's I mean, I'm a I'm a big Michael Harris fan, just a really complete player. Um, they've got Grossman playing very well. They have Acuna back who's starting to look like himself again. It's a really deep and a really good team. And it's a modern team. I mean, I think we've talked about this before, but they strike out more than almost anybody, but they also slug more than almost anybody. You know, it's not, they don't bunt. They have the lowest opposite field rate in baseball. Like if you're looking for like old school rough and tumble baseball, you'd think you'd get it from them, but you're absolutely not doing that. I also want to point out quickly, um, this year's bullpen is better than last year's like night shift bullpen, right? Better ERA, better strikeout, better walk rate. And they rode that bullpen to a World Series. I, I'm really excited to see the NL East battle coming down because there's a couple more matchups between these two teams, the Mets and Braves, and I think that's going to be pretty fun. They have one. They have one more series. I think the second to last series of of the year, um, and that could end up being uh, the good chance that will end up being the, the the series that decides. I mean, the Braves since June one are 55 and 21, which is better than the Dodgers. I mean, they've been like. I mean, the Mets haven't even been playing badly, and the Braves have just been like gaining on them just because they're playing so well, and they've really done a good job. The last thing I'll say about the Braves, of just like 
crushing the teams you're supposed to crush. They just like just totally like steamrolled the, the Pirates the other day. They're seven and zero against the Pirates this year, having outscored them forty four to fourteen. They're ten and three against the Nationals, having outscored them eighty eight to fifty five. They're four and zero against the Rockies, having outscored them thirty to sixteen. I mean, this is what good teams do. You're like the, you, you play the bad teams and you beat up on them, and that's exactly what the Braves have done. All right, let's talk about the Pirates because they did play the Braves yesterday and something interesting happened. And I'm not talking about the fact that the Pirates lost 14 to 2. O'Neill Cruz hit an absolute laser beam, 122.4 miles off the bat. It is the hardest tracked baseball that StatCast has ever measured going back to 2015. I would argue that makes it at least possible that's the hardest hit baseball ever in the history of sports. Because if you look at all the other ones below him on the hardest hit list, they're pretty much all Giancarlo Stan, right? And he's actually done, Cruz has, uh, near this before. So in StatCast history, only four players have hit a ball 118 or more three times. Only four players, right? Stan's done it 21 times. Judge has done it four times. Otani's done it three times. Cruz has done it three times. He's got like 211 big league plate appearances, and he's done this a couple of times. And the quotes were pretty fun, right? So Mitch Keller, who was a, who's a Pirates pitcher, he's like, it sounded like a bomb went off. Brian Snicker said, it's probably good that ball hit a wall because it might have hurt somebody if it had been up a little higher. If you were watching the, the clip, I was actually watching this game live at the time. And the sound of that baseball and the reactions of the announcers, even before I saw what the number was going to be, and also knowing it was Cruz, I was like, oh, this is going to be the thing. And there's a couple of things that are happening here. The first is, that's insanely cool. That a young guy can come up and hit the hardest hit ball we've ever done. Like, full stop. That is monumentally cool. Now, I also saw some pushback against this. One is, well, it was just a single, and it didn't score any runs, so who cares? I get it. The team stinks. It's fine. I, I also think part of the reason it was a single is because he hit it so hard <laughs> that it got to the wall. And like, I don't I don't know the actual measurement. So I'm just going to say like a half a second. But like Acuna, who I think was playing right field at the time, got there like immediately. That ball was hit so hard. There wasn't even time for him to run the bases. And he, if he hit a little bit higher, it would have been a home run, obviously. The second thing is, he has also the fastest infield assist in a regular season game ever tracked at 98.7. I know Mason Wynn did better in the Futures game. He's also seventh in sprint speed at 30.2 feet per second. He might have three 80-grade tools. I'm also not sure he's a good baseball player. <laughs> this, is, this is the part that's confusing me here. <laughs> he's got a career 39% strikeout rate and an 82 OPS+. plus. Where where are we on insanely bright tools and being a below average player on a bad team? The 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 strikeout rate is really kind of what stands out to me as like that's like the because it's like it's it's an extreme strikeout rate. Like there, there's other players of this archetype that kind of come to mind. Like one of my colleagues, Matthew Leach, was like it kind of reminds me, and this is like old school, like Sean Dunstan, like. Uh, old, some of our older listeners might remember Sean Dunstan had like this incredible arm and was like in the number one overall pick in the draft and was just like. Crazy tools. He had a, a decent career, but like he swung at everything and just like was never a, like an impact offensive player for that reason. Um, other names that kind of come to mind are, I mean, uh, a young Jose Reyes who did not walk at all, but he never really strike out either. So he put his bat on the ball and made use of his speed. And probably the more modern one is probably Javi Baez. That's probably like in terms of like the craziest tools, but like just swings at everything. And like, 
Baez has obviously had like huge ups and downs in his career, but he has had seasons where he's been an impact player. And I have to think that like Cruz is young enough that like I'm not going to give up on him yet. But like when you're striking out, what is it, 38% of the time, that's hard to overcome. And it's hard to know where the line is of like what he has to get to, to like kind of like make use of the power and speed. I mean, 214 career plate appearances. So I, I think it's wildly premature to say, well, this guy with insane tools can't be a good baseball player. Like, we don't know that. Is he going to stick at shortstop? I don't know. You know, he's six foot seven. The metrics are inconsistent on him. I'm not, I'm not that worried about that part of it. It's really, is he going to make enough contact? Because we talk about five tool players, right? You can say he's got 80 power. Let's say he's got 80 arm. Let's say he's got uh, 80 foot speed, right? That's three 80 grade tools. The most important of those tools above all else is almost certainly the hit tool, which is different from power. It's like making good contact. Like, I don't know, Luisa Rise might be someone with like a 75 or an 80 hit tool. Obviously, doesn't have the power that goes into it. But mostly, I, I was a little surprised, I guess, at some of the pushback where a lot of fans were like, well, he's hitting, you know, 210 or whatever. Who cares? I'm like, I don't know. I, I care. I want to know that this young rookie you have hits the ball harder than John Carlos Dan. Like, that's cool to know. So I'm, I'm looking at Javi Baez now. Javi Baez debuted in 2014, 229 plate appearances, 41% strikeout rate, right? The next year he got it down to 30, and then 24, 28, and then he like hovered in the high high twenty high 20s for, you know, the next few years. Um, he, actually, this year he's actually down at 25% and is not hitting well either. So that's not necessarily... But like in his best years, when he started to get good and have his, you know, the, you know he had a couple of six-war seasons... His strikeout rate was, you know, in the 26% range. He was also playing elite defensive shortstop. <laughs> true, true. But that also doesn't mean, I mean, like, it's it's also hard to kind of know what to make. I think there's so much noise going on with Cruz now. But I, in terms of on the offensive side of the ball, I feel like getting below 30% strikeout rate and just like, he's someone where like his speed is valuable. Like, you know, put the bat on the ball. It's like, yes, no, he actually is someone where you do want to put the bat on the ball because you are probably going to be someone who can run high BABIPs because you're going to beat out singles. You're going to turn singles into doubles, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'm 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 not sure what to make of it other than the fact that since the the Pirates are so far off, there's really nothing for them to do but just let him play. Like play him every day and see what happens and try to help him make a little bit more contact because we just haven't seen guy with this kind of tools. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think the bias comp is even strong enough. Like I don't think all of his tools are quite as loud as this, you know, at least not the hard hit tool. No, and that, but that, there's just, you know, similar to his heart, you know, similar to the ball that Cruz hit yesterday. There's so few comps like there's so few comps to Cruz himself. It's hard to find comps. I think Baez is the closest thing in recent vintage that I can think of that even is like sort of in the same the same ballpark. All right. The last thing, uh, aside from the National League East, the most interesting playoff race right now might be for the third wildcard spot, really any of the wildcard spots in the American League. Right now, Tampa Bay is up by a game and a half over Toronto, who are themselves up one game over Seattle. And then the uh, Orioles are still sticking around at two and a half back and then beyond them minnesota and the white Sox are both four games out right now the american league postseason would shape up like this the yankees and the astros would both get buys you'd have number six seattle at number three cleveland number five toronto at number four tampa bay and we just haven't talked about the rays very much because you never counted them out because they are the rays but they've just been crushed with injuries all year long uh they've played bad defense they've not had very good base running like it has not been a rays-esque team but because the pitching is still so good, they've stuck around. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10, 14-6 in their last 20. I don't know if you noticed that Drew Rasmussen almost threw a perfect game the other day. Shane McClanahan looks like a top-five starter of the entire sport. 
And the Rays right now will have that top wildcard spot. And the kind of interesting thing that I think you brought up, Matt, is not just who makes these three spots, but where these games are, like who gets the home field advantage, right? Obviously, if Toronto gets a home field, that's a whole thing based on who's allowed in Canada or not. But Seattle's the interesting one because everybody talks about, well, Seattle's going to try to break this playoff drought. But remember, the new playoff format is as such. There are no one-game wild cards anymore. The wild card series is best of three. All three games are at the home field of the higher seed. So right now, that would be Seattle at Cleveland. Is it breaking the drought if you don't get any home games out of it? That's the interesting question. I mean, it is breaking the drought, but it would be a bit of a bit of a buzzkill if you don't get any, yeah. any home games out of it. Um, and that's, I mean, that's like, it's really that that fourth spot, I guess, right? Because like, um, you would, you, you'd host the five seed and it could really be any of those teams. I mean, Baltimore and, and Minnesota, I guess, are still in the race. And I guess the White Sox, for that matter, for that, for that sixth spot. But it really feels like it's going to be the Rays, Blue Jays, and Mariners. Um, I think it's notable that right, right now the Rays are playing well and they have that fourth spot. But from here on out, they have the toughest remaining schedule in the AL, according to Fangraphs. Um, so it feels like there could be a lot of a lot of movement there. And so, somewhat surprisingly, you would think because like they're in the same division that like oh the Blue Jays would have a similarly tough schedule. They don't. In fact, like the Blue Jays and Mariners have two of the easiest remaining schedules as well as do the White Sox. If you're looking for a reason to to hold out hope for the White Sox. Um, but, you know, based on that, I'm actually starting to think that, okay, the Blue Jays are, are set up quite nicely to end up hosting that series and getting the, the number four overall seed. Have you been watching the Rays lately? Like, have you been paying attention to how they've been winning? Because it, it's, it's interesting. Like, they're doing the same thing they do every year, which is here's a bunch of pitchers that you mostly don't know the names of if you don't follow the sport incredibly closely, right? Like, McClanahan is a dude, obviously, and Corey Kluber is a veteran name. Uh, but, like, every time they you look up, there's some other guy uh, who is like shoving like Pete Fairbanks, for example, this year. Well, I mean, he was, yeah. he was, he was, he was, he was, in, he was, I was actually going to bring him up. He was, you know, he, 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 in the 2020 postseason, he was huge, but he's been amazing. Yes. He's, he, I like velocity is up and everything. Like, I know he got hurt. He came back. Like, this is kind of just what they do. Um, do you think the Orioles still have a shot here? Like, two and a half is not that far out, but I don't know. Orioles? Uh, I think I, th- I think it's going to be those three teams. I mean, I'm, I'm, I want to see the Orioles stay in it. It's like fun. Yeah, it makes it interesting that that you know the fan base is getting into it. There's some vibes around there. Um, it just feels like they probably lack the depth to stay stay with these other teams. I think these other teams are just better. So if I had to, you know, like my heart is kind of like, oh, the Orioles would be nice, but like then again, with my heart, it's like, well, the Mariners. Those, that's a good fan base too, and they those those fans have been waiting a long time. Yeah. So um, I think it'll end up being the Blue Jays. I think I think it'll end up being the Blue Jays in the four spot, and then the Rays and the Mariners. Um, that's my prediction. How about you? I yeah, I'm, I think I'm with you. I I just want Seattle to get a home game. I I don't want that conversation. I want the Mariners fans to get a home game. Well, they could win the wild card round and then advance the DS, and then they definitely get some home games. Oh, that's a lot to ask. That's a lot to ask. <laughs> we'll take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, Matt and I will each have a guy you should talk about more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello here with Matt Myers, and we each like to have a guy we should talk about a little bit more. I think my guy's pretty fun because he's old. He's 36 years old. He's in his 15th season in the majors, and he has a 258 ERA. He is Johnny Cueto, who is somehow the second best starter on the Chicago White Sox. Think about it. Dylan Cease has been fantastic, right? Lance Lynn got hurt, and he's been kind of disappointing since he's come back. Uh, Lucas Giolito's had a disappointing season. Michael Kopech has been off and on hurt and inconsistent, but generally pretty good. Dallas Keuchel was terrible, and they cut him loose. Uh, For the second year in a row, some team had to get Vince Velasquez to eat innings. It hasn't worked out. Johnny Cueto didn't even sign with the White Sox on a minor league deal until two days before opening day. Spent the first month in the minors, didn't even come up till May 16th. Did you realize he was the American League Player of the Week last week? Because he allowed one earned run in 16 and two-thirds against Houston and Cleveland. He's been around for so long. I am not going to go through like every year of his career because that would take like another hour. But just like a brief reminder of Johnny Cueto's backstory here. Spent eight years with the Reds where he was very good. Traded to the Royals for that World Series run in 2015. Matt, if you can remember any of the guys he was traded for, uh, then I'll be very impressed. Then he signed six years, $130 million with the Giants entering 2016, right? He was great that year. 279 ERA and 219 innings. He was an all-star. It was just okay the next year. And then he had a bunch of injuries, only through 132 innings across 2018 to 20. It was actually kind of an afterthought on last year's very good Giants team. Didn't even appear in the playoffs. Didn't sign with anybody over the winter, like I said. Signed with the White Sox just before the season on a minor league deal. And now he's been great. And now I'm sort of wondering, like, is he going to be in demand next year? Like this winter, are people going to go after a soon-to-be 37-year-old Johnny Cueto and think of him as a guy who can be like part of a pretty good team? Because that's how he's pitched this year. He also had one of the more interesting quotes of the last couple weeks, uh, which was after yet another disappointing White Sox loss. We need to fight. We need to show the fire that we have, if we have any. Tony Larusa was not very pleased with that, but who can argue with him? Most of his teammates were on the record as saying, yeah, yeah, that that sounds right. It's been kind of a weird season in Chicago, but Johnny Cueto, of all people, has been a really fun story. Matt, do you remember any of the guys he was traded for? I think, I have not looked this up, because I don't remember the name, I'll say, but I think I, think I could d- identify him. There was a guy who had been drafted by the Royals in 2014 who pitched in the 2014 World Series, and he was like the first pitcher ever to pitch in the College World Series and the World Series in the same season, and his name escapes me. And I'm gathering he didn't become like a dude, even though he was a good prospect in a first round pick. I believe you're going for Brandon Finnegan. Yes, that's who I'm going right. for, Brandon Finnegan. Also, also John Lamb and Cody Reed. So not exactly the best uh, deadline <laughs> straight there. Lamb and Finnegan were, were good prospects at the time. But, you know, they're, they're, they, as they used to say, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. What I love about Cueto is how much he, like, leans into his Cueto-ness. Like, now he's just, like, all about the, like, <laughs> all about his shimmies and, like, his hesitations. And it, it works. And I think that, like, you know, he's not going to... He's not going to get like a huge deal, but yes, I mean we we've seen plenty of veteran pitchers um, get major league deals in their late thirties, and I think that after what he's done this year, I mean he very much fits the White Sox. So like I could see him going back there. Um, he just has very much that 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 vibe and fits them. And you know, as I just said, they have a they have a week schedule from here on out. So if there's ever a chance for them to make a run, I guess this is it. Giolito actually pitched pretty well last night, so maybe uh, maybe there's. There's a chance. Did he did he issue any intentional walks on one and two? No? I don't think okay. so. Then he must have pitched pretty well. No, okay. Your guy. My guy is also in the American League Central and is a relief pitcher who's pretty famous, but I actually think he should be a lot more famous than 
he is. So when Jacob deGrom came back, I went and had his first couple good starts. I went to look. I was like, hey, you know, like if we combine his last two seasons, like where would that rank historically? Because he basically just picked up right where he left off last year of being dominant. So I went and I did a search of 2021 and 2022 combined minimum 100 innings pitch to sort of be like, okay, like how does he compare to everyone else? And I found that sure enough, DeGrom is by far the best starting pitcher in terms of ERA+. Plus. His ERA plus over the last two years is 302. The next best starting pitcher is Justin Verlander at 205. So he's far and away the best. But there is one pitcher in all of baseball over the last two years with a higher ERA plus than Jacob DeGrom and way higher than any other reliever in all of baseball. And that is Emmanuel Class A of the Guardians. He has an ERA plus of 333 over the last two seasons. The next best reliever is Devin Williams, one of my personal favorites, who is at 195. Like, he is head and shoulders the last two years above any other reliever in terms of ERA+. And I don't really get the sense. I mean, like, there's a ton of hype about Devin Williams. There's a ton of hype about Edwin Diaz for obvious reasons. But, like, Class A is, like, as dominant, if not more so, than any of those guys. And, like, I try, I mean, he he throws a cutter at, like, 103 miles an hour, which is amazing in its own right. And you would think that alone would be enough to make him, like, a total dude. And yeah, he gets some like some plaudits. In some ways, I actually think he's like sort of like the evolutionary version of Mariano Rivera because like like Rivera, he relies heavily on a cutter. He actually doesn't have a high strikeout rate and that's probably why he's not considered, not in the conversation of some of these other relievers. His strikeout rate is, uh, this year ranks 45th amongst qualified relievers at 29.7%, which is you know obviously good, but not great. But his walk rate, this is what's interesting about him. Unlike a lot of elite relievers who strike out a lot of guys, he doesn't walk anyone. His 3.1% walk rate is better than any of the other relievers ahead of him on the strikeout strikeout rate list. As an aside, his teammate, Eli Morgan, who I'm sure most people have never heard of, has almost identical strikeout and walk numbers. And the Guardians' bullpen is a big reason why they're leading the American League Central. That's sort of an aside we'll get to in a second because I want to have a little bit more Guardians talk. But Emmanuel Classe, the last thing I want to say about him is that what I also didn't realize until recently is he actually started his career with the Padres, which I think is funny because like pretty much every one of like my guys on this show, I feel like somehow ends up on the Padres at one point or the other. He was originally signed by the Padres and was traded to the Rangers in 2018 as the player being named, traded later in a trade for catcher Brett Nicholas. Um, and I, re- I found the MLB trade rumors right up at the time of the trade. And it said, um, Class A carries a 374 ERA um, with a nine nine strikeouts per nine and 4.2 walks per nine. Oddly, he has allowed a whopping 34 unearned runs in addition to the 49 earned runs that have crossed the plate in his career. So at the time, even his ERA was probably hugely misleading. And he looked, he probably, if you looked at the, you know, secondary numbers, he looked much worse. Obviously, he has found his command. He had one good year with the Rangers in 2019, was sort of the key piece in the Corey Kluber trade, um, although a lot of people were like, this is the best that they could do for Corey Kluber. Turns out that worked out pretty well for the Guardians. I'd also forgotten that Class didn't even pitch in 2020 because he tested positive for a PD, and he didn't actually pitch for the, for Cleveland until last year. And then, of course, the last two years, as I said, he has been as dominant as any reliever in baseball. All right, a couple of things here. Great choice, by the way. First of all, I know a lot about Eli Morgan, uh, and that is mostly because our colleague, the unrelated to you, Ben Myers, went to high school with Eli Morgan. And as mentioned that fact, every time Eli Morgan does something cool, he's like, hey, it's my boy Eli Morgan. So that's cool. The Guardians have uh, kind of an interesting thing going on. 
if you look at the guys in their bullpen, they're so anonymous, right? Like Class A, I think you nailed it. Why doesn't he get more play? He doesn't strike a ton of guys out. He's got this unhittable cutter, and so he's got basically like the lowest hard hit rate in baseball. You cannot square this thing up. It's ridiculous, right? But then you also look at, uh, at Trevor Steffen, Nick Sandlin, James Karinczak. So I actually uh, saw this from Zach Mizell, who writes for The Athletic. Over their last 40 games, those four guys, Class A, Karinczak, Steffen, and Sandlin, have combined for an ERA of 0.41 and an opponent's average of 0.146. Those are fake numbers. Those are completely made-up numbers. And it does seem that every single year, and I, I think I don't think this is hyperbole to say we're in year seven of complaining they haven't gotten an offensive an outfield bat, right? Every year they stick around. Why? Because their pitching is so so good. And I know that they've gotten a ton of credit this year for their offense making a lot of contact, and that's, like, deserved. Like, Stephen Kwan's had a great year. Guys like that are making a ton of contact. But it's kind of funny to me. They have, like, this elite contact rate, and all it's done is get them to a league average offense. They have the 16th most runs scored. They've barely outscored Arizona. So they are really relying on this bullpen to be incredibly good and not to be forgotten, I think, as well. There are very few managers in baseball I would take to run a bullpen over Terry Francona, who has proven to be outstanding at this. No question. And it's got, it has to be pretty frustrating for the Twins. You're the Twins, right? You go out this offseason, you make a ton of big moves, you sign Correa, you trade for Sonny Gray, you're like, hey, we're going in, we're going to win this division. And hey, first few months, it's working. Six weeks ago, they were up four and a half games on the, on the Guardians. Fast forward to today, the Guardians are now four games up on the Twins and are in the driver's seat to win the division again, even though they like really didn't do anything, add any players of note this off season, um, it's it's pretty remarkable. Obviously, they, they they in terms of getting the most out of what they have, especially on the pitching side, they clearly know what they're doing. The last point I'll make about Class A that I wanted to make before, and I and I I've, I had it in my notes that I missed is I mentioned him as the evolutionary Mar- Mariano Rivera. Here's a stat that kind of blew my mind. So over the last two years, as I said, Class A's ERA plus is three thirty three. Rivera's high for a season is three sixteen. He's done. He's been better over the course of two seasons than Marion Rivera was ever did in a single season. Emmanuel Class A. It's better than Mariano Rivera. You heard it here first. You might actually not be wrong. Um, I will never forget. I think you briefly mentioned this. I will never forget that day that this trade happened. It was during or immediately after the winter meetings. I can't remember in 2019, where uh, as I said, he was traded with Delano De Shields to Cleveland for Corey Kluber, and baseball Twitter was so mad. That's all you got for Corey Kluber. Well, Corey Kluber threw exactly one inning for Texas the next year before he got hurt. And Class A is turned into like an absolute dude. Sometimes, as smart as we all think we are, it turns out we know absolutely nothing compared to the teams and players themselves. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.